Welcome to Changing Your Dreams, Parenting a Child with Special Needs, a podcast where we shine a light on the unique grief of special needs parents that few people recognize and no one really talks about. I'm your host, Laura Kitts. How do we live a beautiful life with chronic stress and grief? How do we nurture ourselves while we nurture our children? How do we make ourselves a priority when they need so much? My guests and I will discuss this chronic, ever-renewing grief, transforming your dreams, and how to take care of yourself along the way when parenting a differently abled child. Welcome to the fifth and final episode in the sibling series of Changing Your Dreams, Parenting a Child with Special Needs. Today I'm focusing on how to support siblings with my guests, Amanda Yoder and Andrea Vugdevine. Amanda Yoder describes what it's like to have much of her life shaped by growing up with her younger brother, Spencer, who has autism. The uncertainty and violence that is often a reality in families living with autism led to a life of anxiety and hiding behind a mask of perfectionism for Amanda. Upon going to college, she began to find out who she really is, and at age 22, she still wonders what her future with her brother holds. Let's get to it. Good morning, Amanda. Thanks for joining me today. I'm looking forward to talking with you. Of course. Thanks for having me. So we actually know each other because um, my two youngest girls attend what's called Sib Shop. And you are a volunteer, correct? Yep. With Sip Shop. Mm-hmm. So you are like the assistant who helps to run the groups. And we'll talk more about that later. But first, I um, invited you to talk to me because you also grew up as a sibling to a kid with special needs, right? I did. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks for coming on my sibling series. Can you just start off by telling us about um, yourself and your brother? Yeah. So I grew up about an hour outside Chicago with my mom and my dad and my younger brother, Spencer. Um, So he's 20 right now and is diagnosed with autism. Okay. And you are older, correct? You're 22? Mm -hmm. Yep. I'm two years older. So tell us what that was like um, growing up 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. My daughter is 20 who has autism. So I know it was really different than um, than it is now. Mm -hmm. So tell us what that was like when you were young. Um, I imagine he was you know, diagnosed when you were a little bit older, but I don't know. Tell us, tell us that story. What was life like when you were younger? Yeah. So he was diagnosed when he was two. Um, so I was four and, you know, so most of my life or all of my life that I remember has been, um, autism has been a part of that, a part of my story. Um, so growing up, I, you know, I don't really remember having a specific conversation about, the diagnosis and about, you know, this is what life is going to look like for your brother. Um, I just kind of always knew, I think. And so early on, I remember, you know, finding out that I was going to have a little brother and looking forward to playing together and having this relationship. And, you know, obviously that looks a little different because it's not a typical sibling relationship. Um, Right. So how, how, and I hate this term and I struggle mm-hmm. to find something else, but <laughs> it's just, you know, we all have to be able to talk about it and understand what we're asking and talking about. So mm-hmm. what, you know, functioning level, I, again, I really hate that term. Yeah. Um, is Spencer at, you know, was he able to play with you or what did that look like? Yeah. Um, I know. I, I don't like those terms either, but it's hard to find something better. Um, So, and I don't really think he fits well into like a high functioning or low functioning category. He's probably somewhere in between. Um, And I find a lot of times when people ask those questions, the first thing they want to know is, can he talk? Right. Um, And so he's verbal. He's very verbal now to the point where we have to tell him to stop talking sometimes. Um, But definitely came along later. He didn't talk until he was about five or six. and not always reliably verbal. He's he's a people pleaser. And so he'll try to tell you what he thinks you want to hear. And it doesn't always match how he's feeling, which can lead to a lot of frustration. Interesting. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So do you, 
And so you describe that as being a people pleaser. I find that so fascinating. And I totally believe you. I mean, I obviously, you know him. Um, I, I just, you know, I, I instantly think and wonder, you know, is he confused? Does he not understand the emotions? Because that can be very typical with people with autism, not really being um, super in touch with, with their emotions and, and what it means to feel different ways and being able to read that in other people, that sort of thing. But you feel he was very much telling you what you wanted to hear. He definitely is able to read the room. Um, We always, always growing up, we felt like we were walking on eggshells because our house was kind of this happy place where you had to put on a smile and make sure that your tone of voice was right and that the topics were right. Um, Because if he could sense any anxiety or um, stress in you, it would really, he would take on that emotion himself. Yes, I can totally relate to that feeling, but kind of both of those, the whole living on eggshells and the knowing that Mm-hmm. that they can totally absorb those emotions. Very empathic, I feel, yeah. um, that same feeling with my own daughter. So that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. So that, what was that like then for you? Do, do you feel like you weren't really able to express your own emotions and to be honest about how you were feeling? Yeah, I definitely felt a little backwards to a lot of my my peers and my community, um, you know, my home was, my house was this place where I always had to put on a show and always kind of had to have a mask on of everything's fine, everything's great, um, both for Spencer and really for my parents too. I think that's, um, I call them sibling symptoms. Um, a, a pretty common sibling symptom is this perfectionism, right? where like my parents have a lot on their plate. So let's just make sure that I'm perfect and I'm all good. And then they won't have anything else to deal with. Right. Mm. So that was kind of my home life. And then school that I think for a lot of kids is stressful and, you know, a place where you have to perform well and stuff. That was my outlet where I could have all my emotions and kind of feel free to be myself and then, you know, turn on the mask when I got home. Mm. Interesting. And, and do you feel like that was really kind of just an, a pressure that you found within yourself? Or did you hear that externally from other people? Did other people, mm-hmm. you know, tell you, oh, you've, you know, you've got to be good, Amanda, you got to be a helper and that sort of thing. Where did that come from? Yeah, I think it definitely is partially internal pressure. You just kind of feel this sense of, you know, I know that life is hard for the people around me and I know it will be easier if I'm not a problem, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but I do think that there were people probably more in my extended family and like family friend community that kind of reinforced that. I don't know that anyone ever sat me down and told me how I had to behave, but there were definitely people that would pull me aside and be, oh, you are such a good sister and such a good daughter, you know? you get really good grades and you don't misbehave. And, you know, that must be so helpful and so great for your family. And so that kind of reinforced this really unhealthy behavior of shoving everything aside, shoving my own needs aside for the sake of my family. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. But now, you know, at age 22, you can see all that. Mm -hmm. And so how did you come to be able to see all that at really (laughs) such a young age, quite honestly? Yeah, I mean, I don't uh, don't think that I've always gone about everything in the healthiest way. <laughs> I think for a long time, certainly through all the years that I lived at home, um, you know, buried everything and everything was behind. I stayed behind a locked door a lot of times in my bedroom. Um, but I think coming, moving out of state for college, um, so I moved about four hours away when I went to college and having a space where like my home was now a safe space. And I hadn't experienced that in years because since I was, gosh, probably in middle school, my brother's been very aggressive. Um, And so home wasn't safe emotionally, wasn't safe physically. And so moving to a place where my, my baseline stress is I'm safe, you know, and that took a lot of adapting. But I think having that baseline of I'm safe here and I can process through things here 
and it's a safe space. Let me kind of unpack all that. Hmm. So fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing this. It's so eye-opening, really. And um, I'm curious then, how did you get involved in Sib Shop? Can you first briefly tell everyone what Sib Shop is? Yeah, so Sib Shops um, is actually a national program that was started by Don Meyer. Um, and so there are locations all around the country that are led by different individuals. Um, and so the Grand Rapids area Sib Shops is the one that I participate in here. And we have two different programs, one for younger kids and then one for older kids. Um, and it's all for siblings of individuals with disabilities. So, mm -hmm. um, and if, if my listeners haven't heard uh, the episode on my sibling series where I interviewed my own kids, they talked mm -hmm. about Sip Shop. And I know that Sip Shop is a very special place to my daughters. Mm -hmm. um, and I thank you for your participation in that. So can you tell us how you got involved in Sip Shop and what it is that you do there? Yeah, I really hadn't heard of it until um, probably in, when I was in high school. Um, but at that point, I had either aged out or, you know, was trying to put on my perfect face for my parents. And so I didn't really want to reach out to them that I needed support. And so I just kind of sat on that knowledge for a few years and then got to college. I was like, I have a little bit more freedom now. Um, and so I decided to do a Google search and see if there was one in the area and stumbled upon it reached out to Andrea and the rest is history. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Good for you. Well, I appreciate that very much for my own kids. Selfishly, I appreciate that you, <laughs> you are involved in Sip Shop. But now that we've had a chance to talk more about your story, I'm so grateful for you that you've mm -hmm. been able to find that space, even, you know, kind of on the other side now as an adult mentor and leader. Mm -hmm. And so I'm so curious as to what your experience is kind of on that other side now that you're an adult and, and truly a mentor. I mean, these kids look up to you and you help them to find this safe place that many of them don't feel like they have at home. I know that I can relate to that. Um, I've shared some on the podcast about my own daughter. And, and when I interviewed my other daughters, they talked about how now Taylor lives in an attached apartment to our home. And so not right in our own space all the time, like, like before a couple of years ago, when we, when we made that transition and life is very different, very, very different for them now. And I'm, I'm so relieved, um, truly for them, um, that, that they don't have to live, like you said, with that aggression, you know, your brother had too, and my daughter has as well sometimes. And so what, you know, what is that like for you now on this other side in this other role? And what do you see in these kids? And, you know, do you see any, any difference maybe in that they have this kind of support than, than, you know, than you, when you didn't have it? Yeah, I think honestly, when I started in my volunteer role, you know, on the other side as an adult, I was really, it was therapeutic for me too. Um, Cause I really hadn't processed those things out loud and with people who understood them. Um, and I remember early on when I started volunteering, Andrea asked if she could interview me as an adult Sib. And I remember just feeling so inadequate because I was like, I'm, I'm not on the other side, you know, I'm still feeling all this grief and all this guilt and all, all these feelings. Um, and, but I did it. And I think, you know, through hearing these kids process through things, and a lot of times they're ahead of me and <laughs> mm -hmm. they're processing and um, absorbing all these feelings. I think it helps me too. And in turn, you know, now that it's been a few years, I think that was a symbiotic relationship for a long time. And now I'm a little more equipped to provide more of that support. Um, right. That, that makes total that. sense. That makes total mm -hmm. sense. Well, I'm so happy for you that you've found that. Um, even though you were, like you said, on the other side and, and until it really obviously gave you what you had been missing for a long time too. Yeah. So where are you now with that? Like what, where, where would you say you were before as opposed to where you are now? Like you said, just a few years later of processing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I'm in a lot better spot. Um, you know, we talked about the aggression a little bit and I definitely had a lot of 
trauma around that. Um, and so I've been able to move past a lot of that anxiety and panic attacks and things like that. Um, and just have a, a better long-term perspective. Um, even now that my brother's an adult and I've been able to sit down with my parents and, you know, we had to look at the future and make a special needs trust and talk about what the future would look like. And so that was really helpful for me because those were things that I had asked for before and not been received well. And so now that we've mm -hmm. been able to look towards the future and I have a little bit better idea of what that's going to look like and what my role needs to be in that. Um, yeah, I think just being a few years out and having time to have a home that does feel safe. And now I feel a lot better equipped to go back to my parents' house and spend a few days or spend a week and feel like I'm full enough to be okay when things don't go well. You know. Right. Oh, you said so many things I want to talk about. <laughs> I want to unpack a little bit of that. So a couple of things, you know, you talked about the trauma mm -hmm. and it's such a worry of mine. And it always has been um, that Paige and Remy, you know, have trauma and, and I know that they do. I, I see it. I see the, I see the moments when it happens mm -hmm. and it, it kills me. It's so heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. So what, how would you describe that? being, you know, the receiver of that kind of aggression growing up as a child yeah, and the aggression, you know, from a sibling and from one who you, you on some level understand that they don't really understand that, you know, they don't really know what they're doing, but then, but then they're hurting you and you're, you know, I know my own daughters, they'll try to give Taylor hugs or kisses and mm -hmm. she just can't handle it for whatever reason in that moment. And she maybe pulls their hair or scratches their face or something. Yeah. And it's so devastating because on one hand, they know about autism and they understand that she's not trying to hurt them. But on the other hand, it, I've heard them say, Taylor, I'm trying to hug you. I'm, I, you know, why are you being mean to me? And, and any other time they would know that she wasn't trying to be mean, but it feels that way. And I know I feel that way sometimes mm -hmm. when she's <laughs> with me. It's so hard to take. So what how would you describe that trauma as a child in those situations? Yeah, I know that's a lot to unpack too. Um, I mean, so I want to touch on what you said about it being a sibling, which is unique in and of itself. And then being a sibling that doesn't necessarily intend to harm you. And you know that they love you deep down. Um, and I think society, you know, has a process imperfect as it may be in place for if a parent is harming you, right? We have a system for that and the world knows that that exists and there are steps that you can take to, to work through that. Um, and when it's your sibling, I just think people don't know that it happens. And when it does happen and it's happening to you, I mean, the hours that I spent Googling, trying to figure out if there was a way to escape that, you know, but you go, you don't, you don't move into a different home if your sibling is the one hurting you and you don't, there's just not a process in place for that. Um, and so that was hard just knowing that this thing is happening to me, but no one seems to expect that it would happen or know what to do when it does happen. And so you're just kind of processing through it alone. Yeah. Um, and I think to the I think it's rewritten how my body experiences the world. Like mm. there are certain things that I just do that I don't think about. Um, I never sit with my back to the door of a room because someone could come in that room and then I'm not expecting them behind me. Mm. And I haven't sat next to or in front of my brother in years because that's a vulnerable position. Mm -hmm. I always know where his body is in space and where my body is in relation to it. And I don't even have to think about it now. It's totally unconscious, but I just know that, you know, that's a vulnerable situation for me. And so if it happens, I immediately fix it without yeah. thinking. Um, and I think it's just those little things that you don't realize you carry, but your body remembers and carries. Very much. Trauma is totally stored in our, in the cells of our body. I mean, that's been proven and there are books about it and mm -hmm. um, it's very real and really has to be addressed in order to heal from mm -hmm. it. And so admitting it, and, and I, I'm so grateful 
for your openness and your sharing here because several years ago um, in this Facebook group that I'm a part of for parents of kids with autism in my area, several years ago, there was a thread that happened and it just struck me so deeply. It was, it was all about, you know, someone was, was coming, you know, it's often a, it's a support group of sorts. It's asking, you know, it's parents and helping one another with a wide variety of things. And sometimes it's just emotional support. And, and I say just very <laughs> lightly, um, the emotional support, you know, it's huge because like you were saying, people don't understand. People have really don't have a clue to the level of aggression and, and quite frankly, abuse that family members are, you know, suffer from at the hands of their child with autism. And that's what this thread was about this one time. And I, and I just sat there dumbfounded, just reading parent after parent after parent talking about the violence and, and the destruction and the aggression that their child, you know, has and, and puts on the rest of the family. And it was just so overwhelming because I knew it to be true in my house, but we just don't talk about it. We yeah. just don't talk about it. And I, I believe, and I, and I feel to be true that the reason that we don't talk about it is because of the judgment that we will have by others who don't understand. Yeah. Um, you know, so many people just don't understand the way the autism brain works and what it means to be in their body. And so there's so much judgment and criticism. Um, and when we're dealing with what we're dealing with already at home, we can't handle that from everyone else, right? That's too much. So it feels, I think, safer to keep it in, right? And but it's so powerful when you hear that experience from someone else and you've bottled it up for so long and thought that you were the only one. Yes. And then to see a thread like that with, countless people saying, no, it's me too. I just think that's the most powerful thing in the world. It was, it was so huge. And I, and I still am covered with goosebumps, just, you know, remembering that moment because I just sat there and I ended up typing in, like, look at how many of us are mm -hmm. in this situation. And I was so grateful to have that safe community, that private Facebook group where we could talk about those things and we could share about it because like you said, it is powerful when you finally see that you're not the only one. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I just want to bring that up because I just want to thank you for sharing and for talking about it because there are plenty of people who will hear this, who will feel relieved and will feel seen and a little bit better because they're not the only one. Yeah. Um, so, what do you see in the kids in SIP shop because they have SIP shop that you don't feel like you saw in yourself growing up? Yeah, I think just the ability to look at someone else's life and say, me too, I get it, you know, and it's amazing to watch them have all these moments where, you know, all of their siblings have different diagnoses and are different ages and have different strengths and weaknesses. And yet across that, we all have these shared experiences that just kind of seem to transcend all of the differences in our families. Um, and so to see kids, we do this thing every week where we have a sibling spotlight and so one sibling in the group gets to bring pictures and we kind of interview them about what it's like to live with their sibling. Um, and then after that, we have kind of a Q&A where people get to ask questions and the number of people that raise their hand and say, oh, you know, you said this about your sibling and I totally connect to that. My sibling does that too, or I experience that in my family too. And those are conversations that just don't happen with your friends at school when you're a sib. You know, your friends at school are playing sports with their siblings and are going on vacations with their siblings and doing all these things that we don't always get to experience and having those me too moments all the time. Mm -hmm. And so to have a space where we get to have those me too moments as sibs is just so special. It is a really, really special place. And so the other thing I, I want to talk to you about what you said a little bit ago was about how now you were able to sit down with your parents and talk about the future. And so obviously you, you weren't able to do that before. And 
why was that? You kind of said you tried to talk about it before, but they weren't ready maybe, or, or they didn't think you were ready maybe. Um, so I'm just, I'm just wondering, you know, what that was like, how did you finally have that conversation? What was your thought before that when you were growing up? What was your expectation as to what your role would be with your brother's care mm-hmm. as opposed to what you know it to be now as a plan? Yeah, so I would say, um, you know, and this might be partially a symptom of being a sibling and partially just because I'm a very futuristic person. Um, but I would say I've been thinking about the future and what life would look like when my parents are no longer here since I was about 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there. Um, And so that was just always this fear and worry about what do they expect of me? You know, I'm the only other sibling in the family. I'm the only one that really knows deeply what he needs and what supports are needed. Um, And, you know, what do my parents think is gonna happen? If they die tomorrow, what's gonna happen? You know, and especially when I moved to Michigan um, and I'm only 18, but I'm an adult and my brother's a minor. And if my parents got in a car crash tomorrow, what would happen? You know, I would pick up my life and go home, but I can't provide full-time care for him. You know, my mom can't really even do that because of his aggression. My dad is kind of the protector. And so are we on waiting lists for group homes? You know, do we, what do the finances look like? You know, I'm young and I take care of my own finances, but I don't know how to manage a special needs trust. And I don't know. There just were all these unknowns. And so you had a lot of anxiety for a lot of years. Yeah. And, you know, do my parents expect him to live under my roof? Do they want him to live in a group home? Like what are their dreams for him? And how can I honor those if they're gone and we haven't talked about it, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think I tried to start opening that conversation sometime in high school um, and maybe was a little sarcastic or joking around about it to try to open it in a nice, easy way. And was just always kind of met with, oh, we're not there yet. Oh, we're not gonna die tomorrow, it's fine. Mm -hmm. You know, and that, I really hope they don't die tomorrow, right? Um, But But that doesn't reduce your anxiety. Yeah, we don't have that guarantee, right? Right. So I would say when he turned 18 uh, a couple of years ago, then we had to go through the process of doing a special needs trust because they needed to maintain guardianship. Um, And so at that point, I felt a little more, uh, there was a a little bit more reason to talk about it because, you know, now I'm on a legal piece of paper that says if they die tomorrow, he's my responsibility. Um, Mm -hmm. There's legality behind it. And I we did talk a little bit more about it, but I still, you know, wasn't invited to those meetings with the lawyers um, and not invited to the IEPs always. And I just think there's so many things that, you know, 10 years down the road, am I going to know what medications he was on to know what we need to try next or to know what didn't work? And I think there's so many pieces that still need to come, but the conversation is definitely a little bit more open now. Hmm. Thank you so much for sharing your perspective. It's so, so valuable for me personally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I can't imagine for how many other parents who are listening. Mm-hmm. And so educational and eye-opening for people who, who aren't parents of kids with special needs, of which we have a number of listeners who are here to learn and to grow as humans and to be able to be better allies for, for you and for me. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate all of, all of them who are listening and And thank you so much for your candor and your sharing. Um, One final question, Amanda, what would you, what advice would you give to parents who are listening who, um, I I mean, it's hard. It is, you don't want to have these conversations, you know, I mean, just without any disabilities involved, just knowing, you know, in, in my age, in my 40s, as we take care of our aging parents, they don't want to have the conversations about, about dying and whatnot. And, and they're like old, <laughs> <You know? laughs> they ought to be thinking about that and talking about that. Right. Like, it's just hard death and grief and all these conversations just aren't 
welcomed in our society. We just don't know in our society how to have these conversations, how to deal with these topics and how to talk about them. And so, you know, it's hard when you have other kids and, and knowing how much and when and what to say to them. Um, but you have made it abundantly clear that it's critical mm -hmm. and that you just need to swallow that uncomfortableness that's going to last, you know, an hour mm -hmm. to give your child years of peace and, and not feeling so anxious and worried about the future. Mm -hmm. So what advice would you give to parents who maybe haven't had this conversation yet or who are listening and don't really know what to do or how to do it? What would you say to them? Mm -hmm. I think just open the door, you know, and if you openly and honestly ask your child what they need and it might not be to plan out the next 15 years of your life you know um let's say you know what are your concerns and what are you nervous about for the future and on the flip side i think your typically developing child might be the perfectionist that says oh it's fine everything's fine not That's worried exactly about it. I was thinking that we, we would hear that they're fine because they don't yeah. want to put this burden on us. Mm -hmm. So and I think to that end, um, I think one of the most powerful things that I've heard other siblings talk about and other families talk about is, you know, when your child with a disability needs, isn't communicating well, or isn't developing their muscles well enough, or you know, you take them to a specialist, right? You take them to a speech pathologist, to an occupational therapist, to a physical therapist to address those needs that they have. Because even though you're the parent and you have all the love in the world for them, you're not always the best support system for that need, right? And I think that's true of typically developing children too. I think our parents love us more than anything, but sometimes the parents are not the safe sounding board that we need to process through what we're going through as SIBs. Um, and so I think, you know, if your child is telling you, I'm fine, it's fine, everything's fine, not a problem, there might be a problem there and you might just not be the safe person that they need in that moment. And I'm sure that as a parent, that would be a tough pill to swallow. Um, but going past that and saying, you know, let's find a counselor that maybe you could talk about that with, or let's find a group of siblings like Sib Chops where you can have some of these aha, me too moments, right? And even if that's not with me as your mom or your dad, let's find you a support system that can serve those needs for you. So important, so important. Thank you so very much. I mean, gosh, for, for not only this conversation, but for your role in Sib Shop, for your role with your own brother and um, for being a light. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing my story and sharing the story of all the siblings. <laughs> we'll talk to Andrea Bugdevine right after this. This episode is sponsored by Flight Club. Join a circle of friends who understand you and your life as a special needs parent. Combine that with monthly guest experts live self-care accountability sessions with me, and easy, actionable assignments to help you emerge from the hard work, transformed just as the butterfly from her chrysalis. And you've got Flight Club. Our next guest is Andrea Bugdebeen. Andrea is a Sip Shops facilitator, children, youth, and volunteer coordinator for Circles Grand Rapids, social work lab instructor at Calvin University, and spiritual direction apprentice. Her purpose and passion is to walk alongside people, empowering them to thrive. One of her favorite ways to live out her purpose and passion is through her role as a Sib Shops facilitator. Sib Shops are monthly peer support groups for children and youth who have siblings with special needs. She's created safe and engaging communities of support, encouragement, understanding, and education for Sibs in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area. For the past eight years, She's now looking forward to expanding the impact of Sib Shops by bringing groups to neighboring Ottawa County this summer. Let's get to it.
So Andrea is here with me today, and I'm really excited because I've been talking to a lot of siblings in the last month, and we are here to talk about um, SibShop. And so Andrea, can you please tell everybody what is SibShop? Sure. SibShops are peer support groups for children and youth who have siblings with special needs or siblings who are differently abled. Um, Sib shops were started by Don Meyer of the Sibling Support Project. I'm not even sure how many years ago, um, but they are now international groups that happen um, some monthly, some quarterly. Um, for us, it's two groups, um, a younger group and an older group that meet each one time a month. And these are these are places where hands down we have fun because if you're gonna be working with kids, we need to have fun together. Um, so we have fun and we're silly and, um, and then we create space for kids to support each other on their sibling journeys and we offer opportunities for there to be some education. Sometimes that happens from them. Sometimes it happens from an outside guest speaker. Sometimes it happens because we've watched a little video or we've read something together, but we do, we do that peer support and that education um, as well. And so, yeah, it's, we try to weave fun and um, engagement and community building and support all in these monthly meetings that we share together. Okay, what I love, two things. One is when you sent me your bio and I realized that um, your, your title or, or um, what you call yourself or whatever you wanna say, you, it's called a facilitator versus I was expecting like a coordinator or a director or something like that um, for you know, the geographical area that you cover here in West Michigan. But I loved that it was facilitator. And then the second thing is what you just said, um, what I really loved was that you described it several different times as peer-led, peer support, mm -hmm. peer teaching, uh, you know, learning from, from one another. So I'd love for you to talk about those two things. Sure. Yeah, and I, um, I'm not a SIB. So I, I always tell people I fell into um, this work of SIB shops um, about eight years ago. My husband, who's an occupational therapist, was given the opportunity to do it at um, Family Tree Therapies, where he was working at the time, because the person he had replaced had been doing what they called sibling groups. And I, I mean, I, I wasn't even aware that this work was happening at the time. And my husband was like, I could do it. And I think my wife would love to do it. And so that's how I fell into this work. And um, even if I was a sib, my role would still be to facilitate because I believe that it is important for these children and these youth to hear from each other because they are the experts on their own lives on being a sibling and um, and so yes I I coordinated in in that I put time and energy and thought into every single meeting we have it's not just something that's thrown together. Um, but I, but I facilitate the process and they are the ones who come and they are the ones who are so eager um, to, to share their stories and share their experiences and share what they've learned or ask questions. And so really I'm facilitating whatever conversation and learning um, comes out of, of our time together. So that's, that's how I, I continue to see my role and um, am really grateful that they allow me to play that role with them. Um, and then the other question was. Well, you kind of talked about it already. It was the peer, the peer yes, led. And the, yep, yep. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I always come to each meeting with, with what our peer support time, you know, with some sort of an agenda for what that is going to look like. And, you know, for the younger kids, it often, especially when we were meeting in person, we've been meeting virtually um, over the last number of months, but um, it's often a book. Um, 
sometimes it's a YouTube video. There's some really lovely um, short videos either from SIBs or about being a SIB that I show and then we have conversation. Um, but then I just open it up and I ask questions and it's never quiet. <laughs> it's never quiet in our group. And um, yeah, because, you know, obviously some kids are more quiet than others and really trying to create space for each person to have a voice um, and be able to share. Um, but they, I think because we work so hard to create a space that is safe for them, um, a space where they know that they can share whatever it is they're bringing of themselves and their experience. Um, and because, because they know, and they will say this time and time again on evaluations that we do, like Sip Shops is a place where I feel understood, where I know that other people get what it's like to be a sib and to have a sibling with special needs, even if our, and they even say this, even if our experience of being a sib is different, um, it's that, that's that level playing field, right? Um, and so it's a safe place. It's a place where they know that they belong and where they don't, they don't have to have a script, right? For helping other people understand what it's like to be them or to be a sibling or to be in their family unit. Um, everybody kind of has that basic understanding and then we get to simply build on that. So um, they jump right in, they, they do, they support each other. And um, I think it's, you know, so many times when, we, when we're in these spaces where we're sharing about our experiences based on whatever it is that's been that, that catalyst, you know, you'll hear one or two sims being like, oh, you know, I can totally relate to that, or that's that's the same thing that we're dealing with in our families, and so they really take it. So I am I am that guide, I am that facilitator, but they they're really doing the heavy lifting because they're the ones that are that are living um, living as a sib each and every day. So that that was really great, and it sparked a, a few things in my head. Um, one, I just want to point out that you are a social worker by trade. Is that, isn't that correct? Yeah, my background is in social work and I always have that hat on, although I, I'm not necessarily, like I'm in roles that use that background, but I'm not like a, like in a, that's not my title in any of my part-time mm -hmm. right now, if that makes sense. It, it, yeah, I, I follow you, but I just felt uh, the need to share that because Everything you just said was just so beautiful. And, you know, I just felt like I, I wanted people to understand the context for your, you know, maybe your motivation, your passion for why your husband said, probably my wife would really like to do this. <laughs> yeah, and I think it comes, I mean, I've all, I mean, actually I went, I went to college and got a social work degree, you know, in, intentionally did social work for a couple of years. And then I ended up getting into youth ministry, um, not by plan, but that's what I did. Um, and then I look back even further and I'm, and, you know, in college, I worked at a camp for kids that, um, came from the inner city of Toronto. I'm originally from Canada and, you know, so working with young people has been my passion for really as long as I can remember. And, um, if I can support young people, on their journey through adolescence and, you know, and empower them and, and continue to propel them to be um, the best version of themselves that they can be, whatever that looks like um, for them. That's what I love. And I think I said that in my, in my bio to you too. I, I really feel like my calling is to walk alongside people and empower them to thrive um, because I, I believe that that's a beautiful way for us to be able to live. Um, while we're on this earth. So mm -hmm. if I can do that in sim shops, um, you know, and these kids are fantastic kids. I mean, they don't need me. <laughs> um, you know, I think we need each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what we offer is so beautiful and such good and important work, but they, they already come to the table with so many gifts and so many strengths and so much awareness. Um, that really, I like, and you've heard me say this after sim shops when I send some of my notes, like I, sometimes I'm just in awe of what happens in this community. And I think, again, it's because of their connection, because they feel safe um, and because of, of some of that community building work that 
we continue to do. And, and it's, and I'll have parents, you know, new parents sometimes say, oh, my, my son or daughter is, you know, they're really shy and I'm not sure how it's going to go. And of course I always, you know, acknowledge that and keep that in mind. And yet it doesn't take most of them very long before they're, you know, responding to a question or to somebody else in the group. And I think it's because they know that this is, this is, this is a sense of home for them. I think that's probably the best way that I would describe it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I interviewed Paige and Remy, uh, my two daughters who are siblings to my oldest who has special needs. So if you haven't heard that episode yet, I hope that you'll all go back. That was the first episode in the sibling series that I um, kicked off the series with. Um but you can definitely, even as a stranger listening to that episode, you can see some, or you can hear and detect some very stark differences uh, between the two of their personalities. Um, as you mentioned, those kids who are shy and the parents give you the caveat and disclaimer <laughs> before they drop them off, as I've been doing um, for 15 years with, with Paige. And so I have to tell you, though, just to reinforce everything that you've just said, um, you know, when I interviewed both of them about Sib Shop, you know, what very much came across was that it's a safe place. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's Paige who has told me, not, not necessarily on the interview, but as we've just talked about it, um, that she she doesn't like it that Remy is now in the older kid group. She, she liked being in there, having that group of peers all to her, all to herself, I think, you know, because Sib Shop is, it's just their place. It's just like you described it as home. And I think that that's very, very true. And, um, you know, really to give credit to you though, I know you're deferring it all to the kids, but that atmosphere and that environment was created by the adult in the room. And so I just want to acknowledge that. And um, from me to you, say thank you very much for that, um, for my own personal self and family. But um, can you talk to us about, you know, maybe a little bit more uh, diving in a little deeper to what you just said in you know, I've just interviewed Amanda Yoder, who assists you with Sib Shop, and her story was so moving um, for me personally. And I've gone back and replayed in my head several things that she has said, which uh, you haven't heard it yet because I'm airing your two interviews together. Um, but you know, she didn't grow up with a support system like Sib Shop. She didn't have a group, and um, and so she really talked about that and, and then the difference that she, you know, she sees in kids that you guys work with in Sip Shop. So I'd love for you to you know, maybe speak to that if you can, what you see. You know, how, did you have experience with kids at all before or what do you see? How do you see them grow and develop? You know, kind of what's that difference look like for kids who don't have this kind of support versus the kids that do? Right. You know, it's interesting. I mean, Amanda has been such a huge gift to me um, in this work of SIP shops um, on a number of levels, but particularly because she is a, a young adult SIB. Um, and, you know, so she has that lived experience and conti- which continues, right? It's not over. And so, you know, she's been able to <clears throat> speak to, um, you know, to the kids, you know, reflecting back at you know, at the specific seasons of life that they're in, which has been so helpful. Um, And then I actually have a a young woman named Maggie, who just, who used to be, she started at Sib Shops, which maybe Paige would remember her, but she started at Sib Shops back when I first started and we reconnected last fall and now she's helping with the older group. Um, And, you know, both of them, I mean, Amanda will speak to how how much she wishes that she had had something like this. And she has said that so many times. And, you know, Maggie will, will, has in the few times that she's met with us spoken to what a gift that has been. Um, And, and I've had a number of, of other like college age sibs over the past couple years, 
maybe more than a couple of years, five years or so come and speak. And they all say, wow, I wish I had had something like this. And, you know, I mean, kids, kids are resilient um, and kids, you know, you don't, you don't always necessarily know what you don't know. Right. However, when you recognize that something like this is available and you, and I think it just, you know, I, I just hear from the kids that it, I think that it gives them a sense of, um, I'm not so alone, right? Somebody understands. Um, I can talk about some of those, like I have one, one girl in my younger group who will often say, um, you know, I can talk about things here that I'm not necessarily ready yet or comfortable talking to my parents. Um, and I think some of that sometimes is because and I'm sure you know this as well, Laura, that you know, our kids know what we're holding as adults, right? They, they see, they observe, and they hold that as well. And I think what I've realized from, you know, maybe not all of our kids, but some of our kids, um, they kind of stay below the radar, right? They, they don't want to, they just try to be the, the, you know, the good kid who doesn't cause any more stress or, or sadness or pain from their parents because they know that their parents are carrying a lot, um, especially for those families for whom um, the child with special needs um, has some some significant challenges, right? And um, and so and I, and yet I think it's so and then it's so beautiful for them to even to even be able to talk about where they are on that spectrum of, you know, because for some of our kids, their sibling, you know, has special needs, but it doesn't impact their their day or their lives, you know, that much. And then you have those on the other end for which it is significant, which it totally changes what home life looks for, right? And, you know, Remy talked about that. Remy and Paige both did a little bit. Um, and we have some others in our group for home. Um, the child in the home with special needs is, um, it's hard. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. It is hard every single day. Um, and, and the kids feel that, but they know that their parents do as well. And I think, um, so just to have this place where if that were to come up, you know, if we have a sibling sharing, which the, I mean, one of the things I, I wanted to mention earlier and did it that we started about a year and a half ago with the younger group and now do it with the older group. We do sibling spotlights, um, which the kids love when I do, again, when we do our evaluations, that's one of the things that they appreciate most. And they get to have a little bit of a, a more intimate idea of what each person in the group sibling journey looks like. They get to learn about the sibling who has special needs or who's differently abled. Um, and I always ask each, each child that shares about their sibling to share about the diagnosis or how they're differently abled from their understanding, which just gives us like a kid's eye view of, of um, how they understand how it is that this diagnosis or special needs impacts their sibling. And then we talk about, um, you know, a wish they have for their sibling, you know, things that they enjoy or doing with their sibling or things that might be harder for them. And it, yeah, and, and there's just, again, so many times where kids afterwards they will relate to different pieces or they'll have questions about it and so it's this learning it's this sharing and um, I think that's one of the beautiful things about sim shops too is that everybody who comes has something to offer and something to learn and that's powerful right that's it's powerful. so beautiful yeah it's just so beautiful it makes me cry every time you send the, the updates after us. Well, and often it does me too because I, you know, I, I don't all, I don't know how else to describe it to say, but it just feels like sacred, sacred space. And you know, I do appreciate um, you, you speaking to, you know, what is created by myself and and the other leaders because we do take it serious and we and we know that it's important and we've seen, um, we've we've seen. The fruit of what happens when we're together and I what I hope is that then when these each of these sieves goes out into you know back to their family life and back to their school life they'll be able to take a little bit of that you know that reminder with them that that strength that power um, because our sieves I mean they are some of the most compassionate kind uh, insightful young people. Um, and I think part of that is because they're a sieve right I think that they they have a maturity um, 
that lots of other kids their age don't. And I think part of that is for some of them, um, they've had to maybe grow up a little sooner or they've, they've maybe had been invited to or just had to step in and help in different ways. They've, they've seen different experiences, right? We talk about sometimes how some of our sibs are waiting room kids, right? They've been going to appointments and things like that. And, and again, it's, it's just the way it is. It's not, it's not, it's not bad. It's just their normal. And we talk about that. And, and there's this beautiful book called um, a kid's book about disabilities. They have this whole series of books, but we used that with the younger group a few months ago, but even just helping our kids understand that different is normal different is normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they get to mm-hmm. then go back to their normal, which is different, but your and I's normal is different too, right? So just helping them recognize that this is just a piece of their journey for, you know, it's a significant piece, but it's not the only thing that defines them. And so in continuing to just encourage them, empower them, um, you know, as individuals, as parts of family units, as parts of communities, um, and loving on them, I think that's what we do well every time we're together. We love on them and we let them know that they are special and important and smart and significant and let them know how grateful we are for um, the ways that they do love their sibs because it's not all hard, right? They're, and I will say, even though we create space for them to talk about the hard, that's not most of their first go-to. Most of them, when they want to talk about their sibs, like Paige did, right? When she said about Taylor, I mean, it's that Taylor's smart and that she understands things, right? Mm -hmm. And they want you to know the beauty that they see in their sib. And then if, if something is cracked open and there's room to have conversation that relates to them about the hard, they'll step into that. But that's not, that's not the first thing that for most of them. I mean, for some of our kids, they have really hard situations and they're in really tough spots right now, but most of them will speak to the beauty and um, the strengths and what their, what their SIB has to offer, what their SIB has overcome. So. I'm just over here trying not to cry my eyes out. (laughs) (laughs) It just touches such a nerve because I'm so close to it. Yes. Yes so much for not crying. (laughs) It's okay to cry. (laughs) I know, but I'm conducting the interview. So I have to have a voice to speak. Um, So I just, you know, I just feel that you just summarized so beautifully the entire reason that I, I need a voice, the entire reason that I am doing this sibling series um, because siblings go through the exact same things that parents do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with the capacity of a child. Right. Yeah. And so I'm just so grateful for you. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm, and I'll say this again, I'm so grateful to have this opportunity and it on it. And I don't, I don't, I say this so sincerely that is hands down one of my favorite things to do every month. And I have kids that have begged me to do this every week. (laughs) If I had the capacity um, and could come up with enough creative stuff to do it every week, I might, but I think there too, like it just speaks to the power of what happens, but I really do consider it such a privilege to, to be able to to journey alongside them and learn from them. they've made me a better person. <laughs> oh, I, I can, I'm sure I don't doubt that one bit. Mm-hmm. Um, there are two, two last things I want to yeah. talk about. The yeah. first is I would be very remiss if I did not also thank you for the snacks. Oh, the <laughs> you know what, Laura, I have to tell you this, like we, maybe, I don't know if your girls have told you this, but for a number of years, we always end every sip shops by saying, I'm glad I came to sip shops today because, and I've had to say to them, all right, I know you guys like the snacks, but you need to say something else in addition to the snacks. Cause I really don't think the snacks are that amazing, but they obviously do. <laughs> Girl, I hear, I've heard about the snacks for years. <laughs> And, and, and I didn't think they were really anything super out of the ordinary either. Some of the things we have in our own pantry, but wow, they're so much better when you bring them, Miss Andrea. <laughs> well, and I think it's because there's like this smorgasbord and 
they pretty much get one of everything. So I think it might be about the quantity of- I, I think it's more about the no limits. Yes. yes. <laughs> there are some times where I need to be like, okay, you know, one fruit snack or one of this, but yes, the snacks, I don't know what it is, but if you have food, the kids will come. <laughs> it's so great. Okay. And then the second and last thing I wanted to talk about is, um, you know, so clearly we've been talking all about sip shop. Um, but I know that it's not offered everywhere because like you said, it, it, you said it was an international program, which I honestly didn't realize I knew it was a national program. Mm -hmm. Um, but obviously it's not every single, in every single city, every, everywhere. Um, you know, so what, what would you say to parents? First of all, how do they find out if there's a sip shop in their area? And second of all, what would you say to parents who don't have this available to them? What can they do to try to give their child some of this? Sure. Um, so if you are interested in um, finding out if there's a SIP shops anywhere close to you, you can go to the sibling support project. Uh, and then there will be ways to navigate that website and find, you know, I think you can type in where you're from and, or if there's any in your state or whatever, because you're right, it is not, it is not everywhere. Um, yeah, and I think we might be the only, I know there are some other people in Grand Rapids that are um, sub shops, you know, facilitator trained, if you will, but I think that we're the only ones that have one that's active right now um, here. So, so that would be where you could go for that. Um, I think the beautiful thing about sib shops is that, and right now with COVID going on, um, they are offering, the, the sibling support project is offering um, free sib shops facilitator trainings that you can go to. So even if you are a parent who is like, this is fantastic, how do I bring it to my area? I mean, there are ways where you could work with local organizations, you know, that that support families who have children with special needs in their families. Like there, I'm sure there are ways where you could bring this to them and collaborate and, and figure that out. Um, I think, you know, to answer your question about if it's not anywhere near you, what, what could you as parents do? Um, you know, I think, and, and all parents have different capacity for this and level of, of comfort with it. But I think if you can create a space where your kids know that they can come to you and talk to you about whatever it is related to their sibling journey, I think that's one of the biggest gifts that you can offer them an openness uh, to processing with them. Because you're right, Lara, like they're experiencing the same things you are, but just as kids, right? And, um, and I think there are, there are ways to do that that are age appropriate. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm actually, Amanda and I are going to be having conversation about in the next little bit is what it looks like to have a conversation with the older group about them being a sib in the future, um, which you talked about with your girls as well, um, because it came up in our last evaluation that it was something some of the kids would want to talk about. And, and it's come up, but I think having, having a time or two that's dedicated to just allowing them to process and then how do we make sure that we um, how, that we honor parents and families? Because every family is in a different place in terms of their level of comfort. And I mean, I have a friend who, um, you know, really struggled even in her 30s about the fact that her parents just didn't want to go there and make decisions about what care would look like for her sister. And, um, you know, and, and, and again, there's so many dynamics there and it's, it, so how do you honor the fact that parents, you know, where parents are at, but also recognize, not but, and also recognize that, that it can create a lot of anxiety for kids when they don't know what the expectations may or may not be. Um, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to processing that with Amanda, because I know that this is something that, um, you know, that this, this is still we did talk about that in her interview. Yes, she mentioned that. She oh, mentioned okay. That. So yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing um, to hearing her interview. And so talk. all the listeners have just heard that. <laughs> okay, got it. Right, got it. Um, I think another um, 
thing, and I and I heard this reinforced by by Maggie when I was talking with her um, in preparation to have her help with sip shops too, is 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 continue to um, empower your your typically developing children um, to be themselves, to be who they were created to be, because I think sometimes they feel like, well, I have to be good at the things that my sibling isn't, um, or, uh, you know, maybe parents have expectations or whatever. And I think she is just really, as a, as a young adult, starting to live into her own independence because she didn't always feel, um, she kind of always felt like she was her brother's sibling and there was, there was no separation. And so I think that that, um, however that looks for each family is really in encouraging your child to to explore the things that they're interested in. And I guess and that's a normal parenting thing to some degree. And yet I think with our sibs who again, can, can kind of stay below the radar and not ask for too much and not wanna add too much more work to their parents' place, uh, just asking them what they're interested in and as best as you can creating that space um, for them to be who they were created to be. So, um, yeah, so I, but I think the biggest one is, is the conversations. And I think it's as a parent period, it's really important for our kids to know that we're a safe place to be able to talk about whatever it is that's on our heart and minds, even if it's hard for us as parents, hopefully we have somewhere else where we can go to process that. But I think if we, if we create that space for them, um, we're going to take, we're going to decrease anxiety and, um, or, you know, or sometimes our kids start to create their own stories or their own expectations or, or whatever it is. And I think, or, or maybe, you know, go other places where um, they're maybe not going to get the correct information or what they, what they need to know or hear. Um, mm -hmm. So I think the other thing about uh, the sibling support project as well is they do have ways for teens to connect um virtually so i think that's a thing as well and the other piece is is that there's a lot of sip shops around the count around the country and probably internationally that are doing virtual because of our current reality and so i've right. i'm part of a sip shop facilitator forum on facebook and you know i've had some people i've seen some people write like we're not really doing anything right now but we have people that are in kids that are interested is there somebody else's group they can join in and so um you know, that, that could be a possibility. That could be an option, right. And for all the listeners, uh, you know, I'll be putting links in the show notes to the website, um, you know, that you've mentioned and, and anything else that you might have to share too. So everyone can go to the show notes to get links to go right to, right to that if they need it. So um, thank you so very much for being here today, um, for sharing all of this with our listeners. But as I've already said twice, thank you from me to you from the bottom of my heart. Mm. Thank you for being here. If you want to learn more about how to take care of yourself along your parenting journey or how you can better support those special needs parents in your life, you can follow me on social media, Lara Kitts on Facebook and at Lara.Kitts on Instagram. And that is spelled L-A-R-A-K-I-T-T-S. I also have a blog on my website that's worth subscribing to. Check it out at larakids.com. Until next time, take care of yourself.